0: In the beginning of the Cold War, the CIA became convinced that foreign agencies had developed a technique or a drug for mind control. To counter this, the agency launched its own secret program called MKUltra. The MKUltra program saw covert experiments funded through shell companies at universities and research centers. Other studies were conducted in American prisons and in secret detention camps in Japan, Germany, and the Philippines. These experiments included electroshock therapy, sensory deprivation, physical, verbal, and sexual abuse, as well as high doses of psychedelic drugs. In today's episode, we'll discuss how U.S. and Canadian governments have attempted to hide highly illegal, dangerous, and downright sadistic secret CIA experiments. Welcome to another episode of the Cabinet of Doctor Mystery. I am your host, Doctor Mystery.
1: I tried to create living zombies.
0: Reports that have been made by credible observers of relatively incredible things.
1: All I got to do is relax, and they'll take me to their door.
0: Last chance to evacuate Earth before it is recycled.
2: This is a wicked, wicked world.
1: We are all evil
3: in some form or another. He was troubled after he came back from Germany one time. He came back and he told me, he said, Norm, I'll tell you right now, you and I never talked about this, but hey, you know, we're, we're both grown ups and this was rough. He said, Norm, you would be stunned by the techniques that they used. They made people talk. They brainwashed people. They used... Uh, all kinds of drugs, They all kinds of torture. They were using Nazis. They were using prisoners. They were using Russians. And they didn't care whether or not they came out of it or not.
0: It's another snowy, blizzardy day in Cold Lake, Alberta. So why not crack a beer and smoke some weed and talk about some conspiracy theories and some proven facts? some secret CIA experiments. Today, I'm drinking Apex Predator Dead Woodsman Pale Ale. Good stuff. Today we're going to talk about MKUltra and Subproject 68, a Canadian experimental project. But before we even talk about that, we need to briefly touch on Operation Paperclip. In the 1940s, Nazi scientists were given immunity and brought to America. This operation was called Operation Paperclip because they were clipping a new biography, a new life, a new ID, a new identity for these scientists, for these Nazi scientists. Overall, more than 1,500 people were given new lives in America through the project. I imagine this Counts at least fifteen hundred people counts as well as their families. I don't think that it's strictly fifteen hundred scientists. I think that was their family members being brought over to America as well. A lot of us have heard about the experiments of Joseph Mengele. A lot of us have learned about these in history classes. But some of the experiments that they performed were very sadistic and very gruesome, like trying to sew twins together, making conjoined twins by sewing them together. Prisoners were injected with bacteria into their bone marrow to see the effectiveness of new drugs that they were testing. Some Nazi experiments included head injury experiments, where they would would strap someone to a chair, and they would have a mechanized hammer that would come down and hit them in the head every few seconds and you would either die or you would be driven insane they would they would try this to to just study and see what the human psyche would do with these experiments other experiments included cold water immersion freezing experiments and sensory deprivation and exposing someone to extreme temperatures either hot or cold in addition there were other violent and gruesome experiments, including sterilization and fertility experiments. There was also experiments with poison and with mustard gas. And among other experiments, there was also electroshock therapy. So when Nazi scientists were experimenting with all these different techniques, American officials stated that they wanted to bring these Nazi scientists over to America so that they could avoid them being taken into Soviet custody and have the Soviet Union or the Soviets use their knowledge against American citizens or against the American government or military. In reality, it was more so they these higher ups in the US government could in fact use this information for their own benefit. In these Nazi experiments They would attempt to break someone down using a variety of methods. One thing that Nazi scientists were convinced would work would be mescaline, which could be used as a truth serum. They were convinced mescaline could be used as a truth serum. And this is why the U.S. military became interested in its use in mescaline and other psychoactive drugs, and they wanted to use it on uh, Soviet spies. For those of you who don't know, mescaline is the drug compound found in peyote, which has been used in indigenous practices for centuries. So with all these Nazis being brought over, they were literal Nazis being brought over, you see that there's a bunch of, there's actually a number of real Nazi hunters, and there's even some documentaries, and there's some cases of individuals who have committed horrific crimes actually living in North America and and hiding, hiding out and, and developing different identities. And they could either be part of Operation Paperclip or it could be separate entirely. But the idea is that, you know, there are real Nazi hunters throughout the decades. One cool series that I recently checked out, and you, you might have heard of it, it's pretty recent, but it's called Hunters with... Al Pacino, Al Pacino is in the starring role, it's about like a, a group of Nazi hunters that live in, uh, I think it's in the late 70s in New York City, and they discover that there's a Nazi, or there's, there's multiple war criminals, Nazi war criminals in the US, and they're plotting to bring about the Fourth Reich, which would be a succession to Hitler's Third Reich, theoretically. That series is really good, and that's what comes to mind whenever I think about Nazis and Operation Paperclip. Check it out if you want. I'm not being paid to say that, so that's how you know that I actually enjoy it. Here's a direct quote from a 1952 CIA memo. Can we get control of an individual to the point where he will do our bidding against his will, and even against fundamental laws of nature, such as self-preservation? The goal of the MK-Ultra project was to develop mind-controlling drugs or techniques for use against the country's enemies. It's alleged that Soviet, Chinese, and North Korean personnel used mind-control techniques on U.S. prisoners of war during the Korean War. The CIA became interested in manipulating foreign leaders with these same mind-altering techniques, At one point, they even plotted to drug Fidel Castro with some of these mind-altering substances. The general idea was to explore possibilities of mind control and to find a true serum to use on Soviet spies in the Cold War. One of the CIA agents believed that there was a mole in the higher levels of the CIA staff and that this... This, along with heightened panic because of fear of rising communists and the fact that other countries were stocking nuclear warheads, allowed the CIA to conduct these experiments. In the 1977 hearings by the U.S. Senate Committee on Intelligence, CIA Director Stansfield Turner testified, acknowledging evidence showing that the agency had been searching for a drug that could prepare someone for, quote, debilitating an individual or even killing another person. Pouring millions of dollars mainly through front companies, the agency's studies examined ways to influence and control the mind and to enhance the CIA's ability to extract information from subjects during interrogation. MKUltra saw at least 150 subprojects, which were different levels of testing at various facilities across North America and some facilities in Europe and in Asia. So the whole idea here is that the project, the plan is to create like a Manchurian candidate, a subject that they can control via, you know, their mind. You know, mind-controlling, it's like something out of a science fiction movie. They're, they're going to they're gonna zap you with some electric shocks, they're going to alter your, your memory, and they're going to drug you, and you're going to be theirs to control. When I think about this, obviously I think about The Manchurian Candidate, the original one, and the Denzel Washington movie, but I, I think a lot about American Ultra and especially Naked Gun I was watching Naked Gun recently and that's the main plot point is the the queen is coming to the states and these subjects can be controlled this evil mastermind can control these subjects to kill whoever he wants and i believe it's through like their watches or something i, I remember it having to do something with their watch but anyway it's it's almost comedic in nature to think that you could control someone through their mind but you know i guess if you look at if you look at homeland for example the main character in that he is subjected to torture and sensory deprivation and other forms of mani- you know mental uh, manipulation and he ends up being a, a rogue agent not to spoil the show but if you want to watch it you should probably have watched it by now but I guess that's that's a work of of fiction but it could be a realistic scenario where uh someone gets caught and tortured and they become a sleeper agent basically right So that's the aim of the project that's the whole goal is to develop a sleeper agent or a Manchurian candidate somebody who can who who will go out and commit acts against their own will someone that you can control ultimately and and totally With all that being said There's an American historian, Alfred McCoy. McCoy has claimed that the CIA attempted to focus media attention on absurd programs, such as the Mind Control Manchurian Candidate Sleeper Agent Program. And this was so that the public would not look at the uh, the program's ultimate or primary goal, which was effective methods of interrogation. And this makes sense because... Certain methods of interrogation are illegal now. And there are things that the U.S. government has been accused of doing. It's illegal activity. You you see that there are military... there were There were military agents that were in charge of a military base, a detention camp. And they were holding suspected terrorists. And they were treating them like dogs. They would chain them up. They would make them crawl on all fours naked. And they would have a leash tied around their neck, and they would call them a dog and and other things. And you also saw that they did a, a human pyramid where all the detainees are naked, and they're forced to they're forced to stand on this human pyramid or make this human pyramid until one of them collapses or they all collapse from exhaustion. And there was noted methods of violent interrogation and waterboarding and that sort of thing but there were also noted methods of sexual assault and rape against these detainees and you know these forms of interrogation these methods of interrogation are illegal for a reason and you'll see when we go throughout this this discussion and our coverage our, our research of CIA programs operating within North America specifically you'll see that again and again, it's highly illegal and highly inhuman, highly inhuman experiments that they're conducting. And obviously, the CIA and different governments would want to keep these these programs silent. And it makes sense that they would try to point your opinions or your focus on crazy programs that they're trying, then focus it more on interrogation programs that they're experimenting on because I imagine that there are some experimentation programs that they still implement today that were developed through the MK Ultra program that we don't know about because you know like I said the the program was shut down and and a lot of the stuff was destroyed you know we'll get I think we'll get into that a little bit later on but it's always interesting to think about different opinions on this subject There are some documents that survived destruction, mostly because they were incorrectly stored in a different records building. One MKUltra document from 1955 lists 17 goals of this study of related mind control tests. So buckle in, here we go. Number one is substances which will promote illogical thinking and impulsiveness to the point where the recipient would be discredited in public. This is number two. Substances which increase the efficiency of mentation and perception. So like limitless. Ooh, that would be a cool one. I'd I'd be down with that. Materials which will prevent or counteract the intoxicating effect of alcohol oof, you could just drink like a case of beer and not feel anything. I don't know. Would that be good? I feel like that would be expensive. Like, you would look cool. You'd have like, you'd down two twelve 12 12-packs and you wouldn't feel anything. Everyone would be like, wow. But you also wouldn't get drunk. Eh, mm. 50-50. Materials which will promote the intoxicating effect of alcohol. Okay, here we go. Here we go. I'm down. I've also heard that I have heard and I've actually seen it on Jackass, where one of the guys they 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 put a beer bottle in their ass and they drank it. It was great. But if you have done it, let me know. Cabinet of mystery at gmail.com. You can also leave us a voicemail on our anchor platform, anchor.fm slash cabinet of mystery. So let me know if you've ever drank Booze Through Your Butthole. <laughs> oh. So number five. Materials which will produce the signs and symptoms of recognized diseases in a reversible way So they be, may be used for malingering. Oh Hold on. I'm gonna have to look up what malingering is. Oh Malingering okay Exaggerating or feigning illness in order to escape duty or work Damn, okay, so you make yourself you make yourself look really sick so you could you could give yourself boils or leprosy or something. Well, maybe not leprosy. I don't know. Your hands fall off and shit. But you could give yourself some sort of illness and be like, Hey, I don't have to come into work today because I have boils. Materials which will render the induction of hypnosis easier or otherwise enhance its usefulness. So more mind control stuff. Substances which will enhance the ability of individuals to withstand privation, torture, and coercion during interrogation and so-called brainwashing. Okay. I feel like, I feel like if you, I don't know. What substances will help you withstand torture? Heroin? I don't know. Materials and physical methods which will produce amnesia for events preceding and during their use. So another, like, mind control thing, or like, more like the, what's that thing called? The Men in Black flashy thing. The Neuralizer. Bam! Okay, yes, I did have to Google it. So, number eight, materials and physical methods which will produce amnesia. It's basically like the Neuralizer, but you give them a pill instead. That could be, all of these could be very nefarious. They could have very nefarious methods of use. Number nine is physical methods of producing shock and confusion over extended periods of time wow okay just really messing someone up substances which would produce physical disablement such as paralysis of the legs or acute anemia oh dirty so we'll get we'll get into it later on about some substances that they experimented on that would cause Uh, Partial or full paralysis for periods of a time. Substances which will produce pure euphoria with no subsequent letdown. I'd be down for that. Ecstasy without the come down? I'd be down for that. You know, the worst part about doing ecstasy or doing MDMA is the day or two afterwards where all of your serotonin is gone and you feel absolutely depressed. There's nothing like... That high that you get from MDMA or ecstasy. And there is nothing quite like that, that hangover that you get follow the next few days following ecstasy. I would love a substance which produces pure euphoria with no letdown. Absolutely, let's do it. <laughs> let's do it. Number 12, substances which alter personality structure in such a way the tendency of the recipient becomes dependent upon another person. That is whack. There is a drug in Colombia, I believe. I'm not 100% certain about that. I'm just going off the top of my head. There is a drug where you can basically hypnotize. It's called the white zombie drug or the zombie drug. And you have complete control of another person. And I've heard about people falling asleep under a tree trying to get some shade. And all of a sudden they wake up and they, they lost all their money, and they're naked walking through the middle of town. Crazy. Thirteen is a material which will cause mental confusion of such a type the individual under its influence will find it difficult to maintain a fabrication under questioning. Okay, so this is basically like a true serum. It's basically like a true serum, hallucinogenic true serum. Substances which will lower the ambition and general working efficiency of men when administered in undetectable amounts, so alcohol <laughs> I think number fourteen they could just they could just develop some clear, tasteless, odorless alcohol, and they could achieve number fourteen because I know a significant amount of men that are of lower ambition and lower working efficiency when they're. <laughs> On alcohol. (laughs) Number 15 is substances which will promote weakness or distortion of the eyesight or hearing faculties. Damn. Blindness and. and. you're deaf. Out of nowhere. Man, that would be crazy. A knockout pill which can be surreptitiously administered in drinks, food, cigarettes as an aerosol or other means which will be safe to use provide a maximum of amnesia, and be suitable for use by agents on an ad hoc basis. Sometimes you see in movies, people will like walk in with an aerosol spray in someone's face, and then they just like pass out. I think that's kind of what they're going for here. You can just walk by and just give them a spritz, and then that's it, they're done So. Finally, number 17 is a material which can be surreptitiously administered by the above roots and which a very small amount will make it impossible for a person to perform physical activity. So they are basically trying to create a zombie or knock you completely on your ass and lose all memory of it. Theoretically, it could be good for you know, secret agents to have these at their disposal, but when you give somebody that kind of power, they can definitely use it for nefarious means, without without question. It's, it's absolutely insane. As I previously said, some documents survived the CIA purge. Remaining CIA documents suggest that they investigated, quote, chemical, biological, and radiological methods of mind control as a part of MK-Ultra. There's also evidence that CIA operatives and other scientists used methods of verbal, physical, and sexual abuse on their test subjects. Sometimes what they would do is they would drug each other. And what they would do is they, they would put two individuals in a room, They would drug them both and one of them would be a CIA agent or a CIA scientist and when they were drugged they would be told that they would have to harm or sexually assault or rape whoever was in there with them. And then they would study the reaction of both the person being attacked and the person doing the attacking. I cannot, I just can't imagine going to work and being told that you're going to take LSD, and then you have to go and assault somebody. How was your Monday? Declassified documents also show they studied the effects of hypnosis in the early 50s. They conducted experiments with drug-induced hypnosis, as well as chemically-induced amnesia. We're going to talk about LSD in this episode or in the following episodes. We're going to talk about LSD. LSD or acid is a mind-altering substance that affects the serotonin system in your brain. In pure form, LSD is clear or white in color and has no smell. First created in 1938 by Albert Hoffman using lysergic acid, which is a chemical found in ergot. Ergot? Ergo. Ergot is a fungus found in rye and other grains, and we've discussed ergot in our earlier episode in Episode 2, Halloween Highlights. So feel free to check that out if you want to learn more about ergot and its history with humans and how it connects to Halloween. So, although Hoffman discovered the lysergic acid, In 1938. He didn't discover the hallucinogenic properties until 1943. And shortly after, in the 1950s, the CIA began using LSD for mind altering experiments. So it's worth noting that Hoffman discovered the hallucinogenic properties of LSD by accident. He was just working in his lab one day and somehow he accidentally ingested the LSD. I don't know how you accidentally do that. Like he might maybe he got it on his hands or something and then he like it absorbed into his skin or it he touched his face or something. But that would be insane. You're just you're just a scientist just chilling in your lab and then all of a sudden everything starts melting and and you just start tripping balls. That would be a crazy way to discover a drug. In the spring of 1953, The MKUltra project began conducting experiments. Some experiments included administering LSD to mental patients, prisoners, drug addicts, and sex workers. As one operative put it, we're looking for, quote, people who could not fight back. In addition, they also administered LSD to CIA employees, military personnel, doctors, other government agents, and members of the general public to study and see their reactions. Generally, these drugs and tests were administered without the subject's knowledge or consent, and the aim was to find drugs which would bring about deep confessions or wipe a subject's mind clean and reprogram them as a robot agent or a a sleeper agent. Again, You know, they're attempting to create a Manchurian candidate. They're attempting to create someone who will do what they, like, will go against their own will and do what they're commanded to do and then forget about it afterwards. The perfect CIA agent, the perfect secret agent to carry out assassination attempts. So we're going to talk about Operation Midnight Climax here in a second. You have all this opera you, you have all these these operatives, you have all these people that are working on these projects and they come up with the most ridiculous names. Operation Midnight Climax. It is exactly what it sounds like. But why would you call it that? Operation Midnight Climax was started in 1953 or 1954. And it saw a web of CIA run safe houses in San Francisco and New York. Prostitutes would be hired by the organization to bring clients back to the safe houses where they were drugged with a wide variety of narcotics, including LSD, and then they were fed subliminal messages telling them to kill or to harm various people, including the prostitutes in the room with them, and their reactions would then be recorded. Researchers would film these sessions and monitor the prostitutes and the drug subjects through one-way mirrors. Some of these safe houses were in operation until 1966.
2: My purpose was to see that we got guys up there who we wanted to talk, and through other people we got prostitutes to come in and speak to these guys. And these prostitutes would put something, which I found out later on, was LSD into the drink, and make them talk, either they wanted to talk about narcotics, security,
0: or crime." Although their actions were highly illegal, the program saw some success in developing techniques like sexual blackmail, surveillance technology, and the use of mind-altering drugs in field operations. As the program was expanded, CIA operatives began dosing people in restaurants, bars, and beaches. Some of these safe houses were in operation until 1966. Although a lot of subjects were not consenting and were drugged without their knowledge or their consent, some subjects were consenting to these experiments. Heroin addicts were bribed into taking LSD and other drugs with offers of more heroin after taking the LSD and participating in the studies. Consenting subjects at various universities and hospitals were also experimented on, and they studied the effects of psychoactive drugs such as LSD, psilocybin, mescaline, cocaine, AMT, and DMT. We've also discussed DMT in our fifth episode, The Abduction of Betty and Barney Hill. So if you want to learn more about DMT and hear a couple jokes about Joe Rogan, then check out episode 5, The Abduction of Betty and Barney Hill. When MKUltra was first launched, initially the CIA technical services operatives were directed by the head of the MKUltra project to dose themselves with LSD. The head of the MKUltra project was Dr. Sidney Gottlieb. He was an American chemist and spy master, ooh, spy a master. He headed the entire MKUltra project. He was also involved in the CIA's multiple assassination attempts in the 50s and 60s. Like I said, these CIA operatives and scientists were directed by Dr. Gottlieb to dose themselves or each other with LSD. So initially, a typical experiment would see two people in a room who knowingly had dosed themselves with LSD, and they would observe each other for hours and take notes. Eventually, random CIA operatives were dosed unknowingly and without their consent. One operative who received the drug in his morning coffee became erratic and ran across Washington, claiming to see a monster in every car passing by. One serious incident involved Frank Olson, Olson was an Army chemist who had never taken LSD and was secretly dosed by his CIA supervisor, and nine days later plunged to his death from the window of a 13th story New York City hotel room. A CIA doctor assigned to monitor Olson claimed to have been asleep in another bed. It's noted that Olson was sharing a room with another CIA operative at the time of his death. Olson's death was described as a suicide that had occurred during a severe psychotic episode. Some believe that Olson may have been pushed or fell out of the window through nefarious means, and that includes some of his own family members. His family maintains that Frank Olson was murdered because he had become a security risk. They stated that the CIA may have worried that Frank could have divulged state secrets associated with highly classified CIA programs.
2: The source that I had was in the New York City Police Department, it was the Bureau of Narcotic Agents, and it was the CIA agent agents themselves. They all seemed the same, that uh, he was pushed out the window, that he didn't jump. People who wanted him out of the way said that he talked too much and he was telling people about the things that he'd done, which was American secret. If you work on a top government secret, city secret, state secret, and it spills out to people that you shouldn't know, there's only one way to do it. I don't think, again, from what I heard, that he was drugged because he was a security agent. He was drugged because
0: he talked too much. A few days before he was found dead, before he he fell out of the hotel room, he had quit his position as acting chief of the Special Operations Division at what is now known as Fort Detrick. Olson had cited moral crisis concerning the nature of biological weapons research that he was assigned to as the reason for him quitting. So his family had to wait for 20 years to finally get any sort of justice or to get any sort of closure on his case. 20 years later, in 1975, the government finally admitted that Olson had been dosed with LSD without his knowledge nine days before his death. After the family announced that they planned to sue the agency over Olson's wrongful death, the government offered them an out-of-court settlement of $1.25 million, which was later reduced to 750000 which they accepted. In 1994, Frank Olson's body was exhumed, and forensic evidence showed quote, cranial injuries that indicated that Olson had been knocked unconscious before he exited the window. The
1: report from New York City in the medical examiner's office, which I had before me, was totally inaccurate in some very important respects. It talked about lacerations, cuts of the flesh. Uh, that in all probability might have been caused by, by glass in the, in the course of his fall, um, there were no lacerations. They were not there, totally non-existent. We also noticed immediately that he had a, uh, uh, a hemorrhage, which we call a hematoma. Uh, it's what we call a, a subgaleal hematoma, which is under the, under the skull by the frontal bone. That in, is only reasonable, reasonably explainable as having occurred uh, by reason of his being, uh, shall we say, silenced, uh, being uh, rendered uh, unable to defend himself so that he could be tossed out the window.
0: So I personally have read a lot about Frank Olson, and I've looked at different case studies and different documentaries and different podcasts and different books about Frank Olson and his case alone the information regarding you know his body being exhumed in 1994 that's actually new information to me that i didn't know before researching this episode but i think that, that that evidence goes a long way to show that his death wasn't suicide i think that he was intentionally drugged and he was put through a psychotic episode maybe even tortured and manipulated and they experimented on him before they knocked him unconscious and threw him out the window, and I think this is just another incident where you see that the CIA and the u s government is doing things to cover up the studies and the research that they've conducted. You know you see that they destroy the documents, they see that they come after people, you see that they they will do you'll see that they'll do settlements with people where you know we'll pay you to shut up. We'll pay you so that you stop talking about this. The deal is when when we give you this money, you are now required to stop talking about it. Non-disclosure agreement, shut your mouth, here's your money, stop talking about it. We don't want this to be front page news. We don't want anyone to know about this any more than they already do. Just silencing the victims is one of the craziest things that I've ever seen, but it's something that continuously happens with you know anybody that studies UFOs, you know ufologists go missing all the time, conspiracy theorists go missing all the time. You'll see people who challenge the US and the Canadian government, they just disappear. And specifically people of color, black people and indigenous people, as soon as they raise their voices, they just disappear. So it's important that we look at these cases and we think about them because you know you could say that conspiracy theories are silly, but sometimes they turn out to be real, not to fuel anyone's wacky, crazy internet conspiracy theory, but you know if there are if there is tangible evidence, then maybe it's something we should at least explore or look into while I was looking while I was looking into you know project m k ultra, I was also. I wasn't shocked, but I was uh, intrigued to find that there were a few known, like well-known people that have also been a part of these studies that also were experimented on under Project MKUltra or other sub-projects of MKUltra. One of these well-known MKUltra alumni would be Ted Kaczynski. Ted Kaczynski is more commonly known as the Unabomber. He was an American domestic terrorist and former mathematics professor. Between 1978 and 1995, he killed three people and injured 23 others in a nationwide bombing campaign against people involved with modern technology. There are some people that say that... Ted's time in the experiment chair led him to commit these acts. In his second year at Harvard, because he's a smart boy, Kaczynski participated in a study described by author Alston Chase as a purposefully brutalizing psychological experiment. This study was led by Harvard psychologist Henry Murray. Subjects were told they would be debating personal philosophy with a fellow student and were asked to write essays detailing their personal beliefs and their personal aspirations. Individuals would then confront and belittle the subject after reading their papers, making vehement, sweeping, and personally abusive attacks. These encounters were filmed, and their reactions were later played back to them on repeat, All the while, electrodes were attached to the subjects, monitoring their physiological reactions. So they would literally get you to talk about your hopes and dreams, and then they would spend hours telling you that you're a piece of shit, and your hopes and dreams are stupid, and you can go fuck yourself. And they would do that again and again and again. And then, when you get pissed off, they would record your reaction and play it back to you later. Sounds great. I definitely want to take part in that experiment. So it's noted that Kaczynski spent at least 200 hours as part of the study. So there's evidence that this study was a subproject of MKUltra, and although Kaczynski denies this, some believe that this study that he was involved in directly influenced his reclusive lifestyle and his criminal activities. Because you see he's like a really smart guy, right? You know, this isn't a Ted Kaczynski episode. We're just going to touch on him briefly, and we can do another episode on him in the future because he's a really twisted and and destructive individual. And so you'll see that he went to Harvard. He's a smart guy. He's achieving a lot, and he's excelling very quickly. And then he volunteers to be in these studies. And shortly after all these studies, all these sessions, you see that he starts to become more of a recluse and he goes off and and gets himself a cabin in the woods and lives by himself and lives off the land and you know I think that you know Kaczynski says that this is not the case but I personally believe that that definitely would have had an effect on him and that could be the direct reason why he committed such atrocities why he committed so many bombings that's my own personal opinion but i i think that the two are definitely linked i'm gonna crack another brew here we're gonna switch it up we're gonna go with some thc infused deep space beverage Ooh, let's light it up another mk Ultra alumni was james whitey bulger Whitey Bulger terrorized Boston from the 70s into the 90s with a slew of murders, extortions, and a history of drug trafficking. He then spent 16 years on the run after learning of his pending arrest. In the 1950s, Bulger was dosed with a powerful hallucinogenic LSD more than 50 times when he was serving his first prison sentence in Atlanta. So we mentioned that prisoners were experimented on regularly as part of the program. Bulger and other inmates were offered reduced time for their participation, and they were told that they would be taking part in medical research into a cure for schizophrenia. We're going we're gonna to go into a little bit of a history about some Canadians that experienced CIA mind control programs. But before we do, it's important to note that this LSD, this acid, these drugs that they're getting dosed with, they're not what we have today. The acid that you can get on the street or the acid that your buddy knows how to make, it's not the same as what the CIA was making. They were making real, pure acid, the most potent, strongest acid that you could get your hands on, and they were giving people heavy, heavy doses. You know, although some people experiment with acid on a recreational basis, and even when people were in these studies, some of them were voluntarily taking the acid, it's a high dose and it's a very potent, a very potent mixture of LSD that these people are being exposed to. At this point in our discussion, we're going to talk about Montreal's Allen Memorial Hospital. U.S. and Canadian governments sponsored mind control experiments at the Allen Memorial Hospital. Subjects were drugged, exposed to sensory deprivation, electrical shock therapy, and then chemically induced a state of sleep and put to sleep for months at a time.
3: Both the American and the Canadian governments via the CIA were conducting mind control experiments on children that started in the 40s and I believe are continuing to this day. And I am a survivor of the experimentation and Esther Brooks had been invited to d- discuss creating mentoring Candidates basically for the Canadian government in Ottawa in 1940. They used, they used um, electricity, implants, um a lot of experimental drugs were used sensory deprivation was used being strapped down being strapped down on a table having electricity applied like to your vagina or to that area having electricity applied to your spine there was pedophilia involved pedophilia involved as well i think a lot of a lot of research people were blackmailed into taking part in experiments or into taking part in the cover-up because the children were were used um, we were used for pornography and pedophilia and a really common a really common occurrence was um, a scientist or a researcher who they they needed to be involved or they needed to be complicit with them he would find himself attending something they would then drug him and he would find himself in bed with a child with a camera just like this one documenting what was going what was going on so that we were used as children that way complicitly.
0: Some of the drugs that they used included Thoracine which was used to put subjects into an artificial coma. The Allen, was a psychiatric hospital and research institute located in Montreal, Quebec. Although it's currently a respected institution, and there are different operations that still exist within the hospital, the institute is also known for its darker role in the CIA's Project MKUltra, the Mind Control Program. The Allen's founder, Dr. Donald Ewan Cameron, was the key figure in the Montreal experiments. Cameron was born on December 24, 1901, in Scotland and graduated from the University of Glasgow in 1924. In 1929, he moved to Canada where he worked in the Brandon Mental Hospital in Manitoba as the physician in charge. In 1938, he received his diploma in psychiatry and became professor professor of neurology at the University at Albany and began his research on sensory deprivation and memory. In 1953, he developed what he called a cure for schizophrenia called psychic driving. And in 1957, he was recruited by the CIA to run experiments which continued into 1964. The codename for this project and all the experiments conducted on the hospital grounds under Dr. Ewan Cameron was Subproject 68. Everything was funded through the Human Ecology Fund. They funneled the money through the front company, Society for the Investigation of Human Ecology. In addition to receiving money from the CIA's Project MKUltra fund, he also received Canadian government funding, upwards of $500,000. Dr. Cameron's psychic driving was a technique of depatterning and repatterning the brain, basically attempting to erase a patient's memories and reprogram them with new thoughts and actions. To achieve this, Patients were first subjected to sensory deprivation. Doctors would use devices such as blindfolds and earmuffs to cover a subject's eyes and ears. Some reports state that more complex devices were used to cover up a patient's skin, further depriving them of sensation. Short-term sessions of sensory deprivation have been described as relaxing, such as using a sensory deprivation tank. But extended or forced periods of sensory deprivation can result in anxiety, depression, and hallucinations. I personally have never used a sensory deprivation tank, but if you have, you should definitely let us know because I would love to hear what it's like. I would love to get some actual, some people who have actually used a sensory deprivation tank. I'd love to hear your stories or hear what you have to say on the matter and what you think that it does for your mind. You can let me know, cabinetofmystery at gmail.com if you want. So instead of food and water, patients would be injected with strong narcotics like LSD and curar. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it right. Curar is a paralyzing agent originally known as an arrow poison, since it was initially applied to arrows to poison or paralyze one's enemy. So this is what I was talking about before with paralyzing chemicals and, and paralyzing poisons. This drug needs to be applied through a direct wound, such as a dart or an arrow, or through injection. Can't be It cannot be ingested. I mean, you can ingest it, but I don't think it will do anything to you. I think you have to absorb it into your body through an open wound. Because it's such a potent muscle relaxant, CURAR can cause death incredibly quickly, and it induces asphyxia due to rapid relaxation of diaphragmatic muscles. So I believe that with the injection of this drug, it's such an intense muscle relaxant that it can cause you to stop breathing and it can cause your diaphragm to stop moving. The muscles in your diaphragm will will stop working. They'll rapidly relax. So what I picture Every time I talk about these experiments, whether they be at the Allen Memorial Hospital or at various other places that the c i a operatives operate in the u s or other countries, but I picture you're lying on the table, maybe you're naked, maybe you're maybe you're wrapped up in some sort of thing that you know uh doesn't allow you to have any sort of sense of where you are or any sensation on your skin, but you're lying there. You're blindfolded, you're gagged, you have earmuffs on, there's a hood over your face, you're drugged out of your mind, you're hallucinating from LSD or, uh, you know, mescaline or other drugs that they've tried, and you're also hallucinating from sensory deprivation or, you know, you don't, haven't had any food or water in days, and you've just been injected with drugs and you're just tripping, just losing your mind. Then, this guy comes in and he injects you with a paralyzing agent. And you can't feel anything, right? You're still hallucinating, you're still tripping out, but now you're paralyzed. That would really trip me out. Like that would take me to a deep dark place if I was having a psychedelic trip and and all of a sudden I became paralyzed or I thought I was paralyzed. That would really trip me out. Maybe you think it's over, right? Maybe you think it's over because they've done all this stuff to you. They've deprived you of senses, they've kept you awake all the time, they put you in a state of sleep, they've brought you back out, they're torturing you, they're they're assaulting you, they're berating you, and then they're trying all these different drugs on you, maybe with a paralyzing agent it's over, right? Maybe they'll finally leave you alone, you can get some sleep, sleep off the nightmares and hallucinations and all these drugs. Unfortunately, that's not the case. They're just getting started here. Another intensive treatment was electroshock therapy. Usually, two to three daily sessions were ordered, which consisted of six 150 volt shocks that lasted up to one second. After 30 to 40 daily sessions of six volts, uh, six sessions of 150 volt shocks every day for 30 to 40 days, they would then continue monthly sessions for up to two years. So every month, you have this daily session of these 650-volt shocks, I believe. Still chaotic. Still way more electricity than I ever want to be in my body through an outside source. That is way too much to be zapping someone's brain with 150 volts multiple times a day. Is a lot. In order to repattern the brain... Patients had to listen to specific recordings of Dr. Cameron repeatedly. This process took place for up to 16 hours a day, and over the whole period, messages could be repeated up to a half a million times. For the first 10 days, recordings contained personal negative messages, which were followed by 10 days of positive messages. One subject was forced into listening to the same message on repeat for over a hundred days. Some witnesses that went through the facility claimed that various patients were screaming, behaving erratically, and literally bashing their heads against the walls. After all this, doctors would use Thorazine, which I previously mentioned was used to put subjects into an artificial coma, and then they would put them into the sleep room. In the sleep room, Patients were put into medically induced comas anywhere from three days up to 86 days. I don't think any of these patients were aware that they would be put aboard Sigourney Weaver's space shuttle from Aliens and put into month-long comas. You know, what is this, passengers? Chris Pratt, Jennifer Lawrence, passengers. We're just going to go to sleep for, you know, a century until we get to where we need to go. Welcome to the sleep room. So after all this torture and abuse and electrical shock therapy and in- chemically-induced comas, obviously you'd have a little bit of anxiety, maybe some PTSD. Any anxiety that would emerge in patients was countered with heavy doses of sedatives and hypnotic drugs such as sodium amytal and thorazine. There's one more little tidbit of information that I kind of touched on but I haven't really but I haven't really dove into it like we haven't gone into it in full detail. So the CIA is also known to host secret detention camps throughout the years. In areas under American control in the early 1950s in Europe and East Asia, the CIA created secret detention centers so that the US could avoid criminal prosecution for their experiments and their mind-altering drug use that they were subjecting patients to. People suspected of being enemy agents and other people that they deemed expendable. They would undertake various types of torture and human experimentation on them. These prisoners were interrogated while being administered psychoactive drugs, electrical shock therapy, And they were subjected to extreme temperature variations and sensory deprivation. Although you see that these detention camps are happening in other parts of the world, they're also doing these experiments in the US and in Canada. So, you know, it's not that it's that the CIA operatives and the government at the time, the CIA higher ups, they didn't care about who they would test these on. They just wanted to test it out. And they just wanted to run their experiments on unwitting subjects, whether they were, you know, foreign or domestic citizens. Before we end the conversation about LSD and the CIA, I wanted to bring up the fact that the CIA and the U.S. government are, in fact, the ones who created the countercultural movement that you see in the U.S. in in the 60s and the 70s. So because of this use of LSD in different patients and different subprojects in MKUltra, those subjects, some of those subjects and some of the scientists that were conducting the experiments, started using LSD recreationally, and that's what kind of developed the counterculture movement, the hippie movement, that we we saw in the 70s. Ken Kesey was an American author, poet, and counterculture figure. You may know him best from his novel, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. This novel is a product of Kesey's time working as an orderly at a mental health facility in California. While researching this book, not only did he speak to the patients and witness the workings of the institution, he also voluntarily participated in the studies and took psychoactive and psychedelic drugs like mescaline and LSD. In nineteen sixty-four, Casey gathered his friends and some followers, and that summer they traveled across the US in a psychedelic painted school bus called Further. F-U-R-T-H-U-R. This group was known as the Merry Pranksters. The Merry Pranksters would host acid parties known as acid tests. And at these parties, they would literally give out acid. They would literally give out LSD. You would show up to the event, and they would have free Kool Aid, which was dosed with acid, and then flashing lights and loud music would bring you into a different dimension. The music that played was one of the bands that Kesey mentored, the Grateful Dead. The Grateful Dead were the house band for the Merry Pranksters acid tests, and Kesey had a profound influence. Throughout their long career. We could do a whole other episode specifically about how the CIA started the counterculture movement. But for this episode, we're more focused on the issues and the problems that the CIA caused. Instead of how they changed American society and culture for the better. Which I think, the merry pranksters, the grateful dead, one flew over the cuckoo's nest. I think that's changing things for the better. The general consensus is that the CIA experiments and the various sub-projects had a profound impact on North American life, culture, and they also had a very profound impact on history and how these individuals affected the turn and the change of history. Most MKUltra records were destroyed in 1973 by order of CIA Director Richard Helms. There are over 150 known MKUltra research sub projects sponsored by MKUltra and other related CIA programs. The United States and Canadian governments are still silencing people through settlements, non disclosure agreements, and other methods. If you're interested in further reading, I would highly recommend Brown University professor Stephen Kinzer's book, Poisoner in Chief, Sidney Gottlieb and the CIA search for mind control. A good documentary to watch would be American Dope, Acid Dreams. A great TV movie to watch is The Sleep Room. It's a 1998 drama. It's a Canadian television movie. It's about the 1950s and 1960s experiments by Donald Ewan Camera, Dr. Donald Cameron, and how it was funded by the CIA's MKUltra program. So it's a great, great movie to watch if you want to get a general idea of how traumatic this experience can actually be. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed, and we'll see you again next time. This episode is produced by Death Hotel Creative, hosted by myself, Dr. Mystery. To view more, visit us at NotWhatWeSay.com, check out our Instagram handle at Cabinet of Mystery, or our Twitter at OpenTheCabinet. Please leave us a review if you enjoyed the show, and let us know what topics you'd like to hear in the future. You can let us know either on the socials or at cabinetofmystery at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, thank you so much for sharing with your friends and your family, and please subscribe for more episodes.